This is chapter 146 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS ADD Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Many of us are spending long hours at home with our families. This week, two books about what it means to be a family and the lengths we'd go to protect the ones we love. He didn't know it at the time, but author Jason Pinter chose an exceptional title for the first book in his new thriller series. It's called Hideaway, something a lot of us are doing to keep ourselves and those around us safe from COVID-19. I actually I predicted the whole thing. That was, that was the idea. <laughs> and, wh- and one of the themes of the book is how far you'd go to keep your family safe, which is something a lot of people are trying to do in this pandemic. Yeah, it certainly is, and and us too. You know, we actually my my wife and our we live in Hoboken, New Jersey, with our two two uh, young daughters, and uh, you know we're we're sort of near the hot zone. It's a very uh, heavily populated small city. We actually left Hoboken and have been kind of staying with uh, my folks and her folks because they are uh, out in the country a little more, have a little more space for the kids to run around in. Uh, so we, we've been fully uprooted. Everybody is kind of make, making do, but it's it's turned a lot of lives upside down. And so this current pandemic is not what inspired the theme to that book. Tell us how the birth of your daughter yes. led to it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the inspiration for Hideaway and for Rachel Marin came uh, pretty shortly after the birth of our first daughter. I want to say it's about uh, uh, about two and a half years ago now. Um, there was one night in particular where I remember when our daughter was about six months old. And uh, like most parents, we have a um, baby monitor by the side of the bed. And, uh, you know, we look at the monitor, make sure she's breathing, make sure she's safe. And about, about when she was six months old, I remember uh, my wife would still stay up all hours of the night staring at the monitor, making sure that our daughter was safe. And I said to her one night, you know, get some rest. She's happy. She's healthy. She sleeps through the night. And she said, you'll never understand what it's like to grow something inside of you than have it live outside of you and not knowing whether it's healthy every second of the day. And that really just struck me as the kind of protector that a parent and a mother specifically could be. And I just it sort of kind of clicked the idea of a character who was strong and capable and smart and uh, kind of a fighter, but at the same time had this vulnerability because she was a mother too. And how do you balance being somebody who is sort of a brilliant criminalist and detective and can help mete out justice, but at the same time needs to be home to cook dinner and help with homework and make sure the kids get onto the bus on time. And I thought that was a really interesting premise for a novel and a series both to sort of create this intricate, twisty plot with a great backstory, but then also get into the lives of these characters and what actually would it mean for this woman to have to balance motherhood with essentially being a detective. Why a main character who is a vigilante? They're not always that easy to like. Rachel's kind of the, the opposite of that, but it's an interesting road to go down as, as opposed to just being, you know, a, a, a cop or a detective who is yeah. really dedicated to their job. You know, it's interesting. When I was writing the book, I don't really think I saw Rachel as something of a vigilante. You know, I, I didn't think of her as, as sort of Batman. She wasn't, you know, going out at night finding random uh, bad guys to kind of beat up and pummel. Um, she does what she does because a something terrible happened to her uh, a few years before the book starts that shattered her family, shattered her life, and shattered her faith in the system. Uh, she feels that a lot of people let her down, and now she really believes that the only people who are capable of protecting herself and her family is, is herself. Um, but at the same time, uh, when she moves to this small town and kind of starts her life over, uh, another woman is killed, and she also feels that 
this woman is going to slip through the cracks, that a killer is going to go free, that justice won't be done, and she doesn't trust law enforcement uh, to do their jobs. So she takes it upon herself. Um, so I don't know if she's sort of a vigilante in the sense that she's sort of going out looking to, you know, take down bad guys. She's more just she feels that she's been let down by the system. She sees another woman about to suffer the same fate, and she feels compelled to do something about it. I'm curious about how your discussions with uh, I know you spoke to um, people in the Hoboken Police Department to kind of get your research right. Did they have anything to say in regards to somebody who's a civilian who's really just sticking their nose in where it doesn't belong? Did they have any feelings yeah, I mean, about that's that? Sort of one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to touch on in the book is that there are two characters who are sort of um, semi-main characters, the two detectives, uh, John Serrano and Leslie Talley, sort of. They're, they're, I want to say they're Rachel's foils, but they're not bad guys. And what I want to make very clear is that they're the cops that Rachel sort of butts heads with along the way because they're also assigned to investigate the, the murder of uh, Constance Wright, the woman who's found uh, murdered at the beginning, the beginning of the book. But I didn't want them to essentially just be obstacles. I feel like a lot of times in thriller fiction or mystery fiction, the main character sort of, um, you know, the cops are the bad guys. The cops are the obstacles. They're the ones getting in the way, tripping over their own feet. I wanted Serrano and Talley to be very, very capable, very, very good cops but Rachel doesn't trust them because of what's happened to her in the past. Uh, and at the same time, if you were to read the story from their perspectives, here's Rachel Marin, who's not a cop, is not in law enforcement in any way, butting into these cases and showing up at crime scenes. And from a cop's perspective, she'd be a crazy person. Uh, and I wanted to make that very clear. And in talking to the, you know, the, the chief of police and the sergeants in Hoboken, that's the way a civilian poking their head into police business would be treated like this person has a screw loose. And I did want the reader to feel in some ways that maybe Rachel wasn't fully all there, that maybe she shouldn't be poking her nose in. And the cops have every right to kind of think that she might be crazy. You know, of course, we understand that she might be right. But at the same time, from the cops perspective, this civilian has no right to be doing what she's doing. So I wanted the story to be a little more complicated than just Rachel is perfect. Rachel is infallible. She doesn't always do the right thing. And these cops who are capable in their own right have a right to sort of view her very skeptically. You're obviously not a single mom like Rachel. <laughs> I, I, what gave it, what gave it away? <laughs> How did you get her character just right? Oh, that was probably the hardest part of the book. Um, you know, I've written sort of mystery thriller fiction before, and I was fairly confident that I sort of knew the twists and turns. I could get into some of the characters, but... It was important to me to make Rachel not just a mother, but also a single mother, too, because I really did feel that there's a connection between a mother and a child that even as a, a very hands-on father who does every ounce of labor he possibly can, there's a bond between, I think, a mother and a child that a father just doesn't understand because they didn't carry the child. Um, so I wanted to make sure I got the notion of a mother right and a single mother right. So I talked to a lot of women who were both parents and single mothers about what are the emotions that you go through? What are the difficulties? What are the joys? What are the hardships? What is it about the job that, you know, for all the, you know, being a single parent is hard enough as it is. What are the little moments that make it worthwhile? And I remember there's one woman I spoke to who was a single mother of two boys, who I think were about six and eight. And she said that it's the hardest thing she's ever had to do because she also works full time. But she remembered one day where her son, who her eight-year-old son came up to her and said, mom, I just want you to know I appreciate everything you do. And to her, she just melted, and that made everything worthwhile. And I wanted uh, to feel that a little bit, that as hard as Rachel's life was, 
there were moments of joy and bliss that made up for it times 10. And that's the sort of, that's the emotion I wanted to capture is the, not just the hardships of being a single mother and the hardships of balancing this life that Rachel has chosen, but what were those little small moments with her children that made up for it? You know, I have here in my notes that I think when she really comes across as being the most likable and the most human are are those scenes that she has with her kids. Yeah, I love those scenes. I really, you know, her daughter and her, you know, her son struggles up because her daughter was a little too young to remember exactly what happened. Her son, unfortunately, bore the brunt of it and is and has become very detached, very emotionally withdrawn. So she has to treat her children very different ways. And you know, she tries to relate to her her son. You know, her son is very smart. You know, he likes to play video games. He has a love for sort of science fiction and fantasy. And her daughter is writing these cute little adventure detective stories. And it, I agree, it's those little moments of just seeing her children enjoy what they're doing and find, you know, just find enjoyment with the little things in life. That's That, to me, meant as much as any of the sort of twists and turns. So between the two kids, one's writing books, one loves to read books. You've also got John Serrano, who who loves to read these these fantasy books. Yes. Are you a big reader, a, a big reader, just in general? I'm a big reader, as, as in general. Um, I grew, I'd say I grew up on fantasy fantasy and science fiction. I don't read as much of it now just because with we have two toddlers and, and you know there's only so much time in the day and reading thousand page doorstoppers it's a you know it would take me half a year. Um <laughs> but I'm I'm a voracious reader. Um, you know my, my pleasure reading time isn't isn't what it used to be just because of family and professional obligations but I I am a big reader. So there's definitely a part of that that sort of bleeds into the book. I love characters that reeks. I really do feel like you can get a sense of a character in terms of how much they read and what they read. I'm sure you've read Goodnight Moon at least a thousand times by this. A point. thousand, a thousand <laughs> times. Now we're on, we're on to Peppa Pig, uh, Pete the Cat. <laughs> so you mentioned so we, that we, both of our kids have their favorites. You mentioned at the very top of this interview that this is the start of a new series. So mm-hmm. it, will it just be Rachel? Will it be Rachel Serrano and Tali? What's the mix-up going to be? Can you tell well, us? Without, without giving too much away, I would say that if if uh, if Certain characters survive hideaway. There's a very good chance that you'll see them in the next book. Um, I, do, I think one of the joys of creating a series is following these characters from book to book, seeing how they grow, how they change, how their relationships with each other change. And I very much go into that in book two, or Rachel's relationships with uh, her children, with the, the police detectives, with her community, too. Uh, but then I get I get a chance to introduce brand new characters and maybe even bring back characters from book one that you didn't think would come back. Um, so it's a lot of fun to sort of go into these character characters' lives more, then throw a few more you know Molotov cocktails into the mix and see how everybody reacts to those. And when can we look forward to that? Uh, I believe that'll be out in January, Excellent. so about uh, eight or nine months from now. All right. Well, while everyone is hiding away, if they're looking for something to read, <laughs> they can pick up Hide Away by Jason Pinter. Thank you for spending some time to us today to talk about it. It's my pleasure. In The Other Family, author Loretta Nyhan explores what it means to be family, both the ones we're born into and the ones we create ourselves. After weeks of sheltering in place... I think there might be more than a few people who are wishing they were stuck with different families. Am I right? I got a chance to ask Loretta what inspired her tale of a search for true family. I've been at a party and uh, a couple years ago and people were talking about 23andMe, the DNA test. And everyone was, you know, excited about it and wanted to try it if they hadn't tried it already. And there was one guy in the group who seemed really angry. And uh, I'm super nosy. So I said, hey, are you okay? What's going on? 
And he said, I tried the 23andMe test, and I found out that my dad had a sister I never knew about. I had an aunt, and I had cousins, and I grew up as an only child, and, and I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, what did you do when you, what happened when you contacted them? And um, he said, well, why would I do that? I said, wow, that would be the first thing I would do. So that was kind of sitting in my head. And then I noticed um, in my neighborhood, a lot of kids um, had been diagnosed with various different kinds of autoimmune disorders. And I noticed some of my friends getting sick, and I said, what's going on? And um, my sister um, struggles with autoimmune disorders, and her son has an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts. So I kind of put that together, and, and the story of Allie came about and her daughter, Kylie. Um, and their search for family and their search for answers because, um, you know, autoimmune issues are, are very confusing and often misdiagnosed. And people who suffer from them go through, you know, many, many doctors usually and many years of being misdiagnosed before they can finally kind of figure out what's going on. So, um, so that's how the story was born. I think if I were sitting here and I hadn't already read your book, I would I thought you're talking about a very serious story. But this, this book is laugh out loud funny. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you know, um, my books usually deal with serious topics, um, but I feel like you need to balance that out with humor. And, uh, you know, you need to find the joy in it. So um, I'm glad you thought that. Your characters are, are all thrown in together. They're learning how to adapt to finding new people around them, about trying to, you know, they're having change forced upon them that they're trying to work around. You know, there's even this disease that they can't control. And it's totally not unlike the situation a lot of families are finding themselves in right at this moment. Right. And what do you do in situations where you can't control um, what's going on, especially when it's your child? Um, it's really tough. And, and I wanted to explore that uh, because I feel like so many of us um, find ourselves in that position. Absolutely. How is your family coping right now with everything that the world's going through? of an interesting situation. Um, so I was widowed and I'm remarried and um, recently. And so my uh, current husband and I uh, live in separate homes because of different school districts. We have a blended Brady Bunch family. So I'm in my house with my two boys who are 17 and 20. And he's in his house with his two girls uh, who are 11 and 14. And we're trying to make this work. Um, it's a challenge, uh, you know, but we're trying. Um it's an interesting, interesting time to be living in, for sure. It sounds like you have the, the, the seeds for another book there. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that. Um, right now, living in it, though, I don't know if I want to spend that much brain time there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, for sure, that could, be, that could be a book in the future. I mean, I, I'm talking to you. We know that you're a writer. But I also love that uh, you, you say you're do, you also like to do a lot of things that uh, your high school self would cringe at, like baking and knitting. Are you doing a lot of that now? I am. Um, I, I almost said, unfortunately, I'm baking <laughs> because um, I'm trying to offset that with, with a little bit of exercise and getting outside. But um, for sure, baking and um, like crazy. I haven't been knitting so much. Um, I find that, that this situation is definitely a drain a brain drain. You know, I feel very scattered. I'm sure most people do. Um, it's, it's hard to focus. And, and it's, it's ironic. You have so much time now um, to do things that you always wanted to do. I'm going to clean out that and I'm going to organize that. And really all you can do is kind of live minute to minute, you know, and, and try to keep your brain doing the things that you need to do to live, um, you know, getting dinner on the table, um, washing the dishes. So um, what what time I've had to kind of just do what I want to do, I have been baking. Um, 
yeah, and passing that around, leaving it on porches and, and things like that to kind of help other people get through. You don't happen to have any tips for a sourdough starter, do you? Because mine is not rising. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, I wish I did. I want to go back to um, the DNA test that kind of sparked this book. Have you ever taken one yourself? I have. Were yes. you surprised or find out I anything was. interesting? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was 17% Native American. Um, that was a shocker. Um, you know, my dad, my dad's Irish, so I kind of knew, okay. Um, and that was not a surprise, but my mom's was, was, you know, such a mix. Um, so that was, that was really interesting. And, and most people I talk to, you know, something pops up and you're like, where did that? And, um, and it, it sparks your imagination because you wonder, well, how did I get this relative there? Where did they travel? How did they, you know, what, what role do they have in making me, me? Um, and that was part of the journey when I wrote the book, um, was thinking about that. You know, all these people make us who we are. And there's something very fascinating about that. And I love, too, the message that it it also doesn't have to be at a biological level. Like, the because Allie's adopted, her mom kind of pushes against her wanting to have this DNA test and maybe reconnecting with this family that she finds because she's so, she's like, I'm the one that raised you, I'm family, and that can be family too. Right, and I've seen that play out, um, that conflict uh, within my friends who are adopted. Um, and sometimes their adopted parents are, are super supportive, but it's but it's within them, you know, they don't want to feel like they're betraying anyone or, um, and, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and I've, I've long, you know, it sounds kind of a little cheesy, but I've long believed that, you know, we have the family, we love our families, and then we have families that we make for ourselves. Um, and we discover as we go along in this life journey. Um, and that's wonderful, too, and brings just as much love and happiness. And uh, I wanted to explore that as well. And Allie, Allie's happy in her life. She loves her mother. But as she comes across um, all the, the other family, um, you know, she realizes how much people can, um, other people can become family and what they can give to you and what you can give to them. This next question might come a little bit out of left field, but I'm really curious. There's a sure. there's an I incident. <laughs> it's related to the book. There's an incident in the book where a kid picks on Kylie by taking a chocolate peanut butter cup and drawing like a circle around her lunch. Is that from your imagination or do you know someone who that actually happened to? I'm sad to say I know someone that oh, actually happened God. to. Not exactly like that. Not exactly like that. But um, and I've heard that story from a number of parents. I talked to a lot of uh, parents whose children suffered from allergies. And, um, you know, kids can be mean. And kids tend to be experts at focusing on that weak spot. And that happens to be the weak spot for some kids. And uh, I heard that story in different variations a couple times. And, yeah, shocking. Um, but, oh, boy, does that bring the mama bear out, you know, Um so I felt like that needed to go in there uh, to show also you know, how dangerous this can be. And these kids who suffer um, severe allergies are putting themselves at risk just going to school. I think you've totally given me like a, a new perspective on that because, you know, sometimes you hear people have allergies and people may think, oh, it can't be that serious. And you, you blow it off. But, you know, after reading this and, and really looking at how it affects all aspects of this poor girl's life. It's it's intense. Right. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine every day thinking that there's something out there that could kill you. And, you know, your child can be going to a, a kid's party, um, you know, lunch at school, 
the playground, uh, anywhere, all these, all these things that are supposed to give kids joy. And, and it, it, you know, just learning from my sister's experience and a, and a couple other parents, I know it's, it's heartbreaking in a way because it, it, it robs them of some part of their childhood. You know, there's always that fear. Um, and, and you have to communicate that fear to your child because they need to be aware of it. Um, it's not something that you can protect them from all the time. So what are you working on next? I know you're taking kind of a brain break in the middle of everything, but I'm sure there's an <laughs> idea trying. percolating. I'm trying. I'm actually on deadline. Um, I'm working on a book about a woman who decides to become a surrogate um, for a, a young couple um, and starts to have some second thoughts. So that's where I'm at. A- another story about families, of which I love. Absolutely. Yes. We've been talking with Laura Denyhan. Her new book is The Other Family. If you're looking for a a laugh and an escape from everything that's going on in the world right now, I highly recommend you go and pick it up. Thank you for talking to us today and giving us a few minutes of your time. Thank you so much and take care of yourself. Stay healthy. In case you were wondering, and even if you weren't, my sourdough starter finally came to life about two weeks after I made it from scratch. So if you're on the quarantine baking bandwagon, don't give up. And that's where we'll close the book on this chapter. It's been a while since we last connected. I hope you're well and weathering this pandemic with a positive attitude and lots of good books. If you're feeling isolated, please reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. You can also email me at Lisa T, that's L-I-S-A-T, at WCBS880.com. Hang in there. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.